giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Max Temkin. How's it going, Max? Pretty good. Awesome. I'm very. I'm so excited to do this podcast that's about to start now. <laughs> it absolutely right now. is about to Hasn't start. Hasn't already happened. It's definitely. We did not record this at the end of the podcast and then slice it into the beginning. Um. So I thought it would be funny to do this whole interview with you and not mention Cards Against Humanity at all. Let's do it. I'm into it. <laughs> I mean, I thought it'd be funny, but not practical. Oh, I see. Okay. You know? I mean, I, yeah. I, I did, as I'm researching you, I'm seeing that, you know, you're, this is what you get asked about all the time. Like, are you, are you sick of talking about this stuff? Um, no, I, it's super fun to talk about Cards Against Humanity, and it's really fun, and it's fun. In a way, it's like really, it's incredibly gratifying that people like the game because the game was always like the weird, you know, nerdy inside jokes that that me and my friends were like bullied for when we were younger. So now it's like, I can't tell you how gratifying it is to like go out to a bar and there's like a table of people at the bar playing this, you know, playing literally like our inside jokes that people would would make fun of us for, you know, when we were young, when we were you know on the playground or whatever. So totally, that's that's great, and it's and I love talking about the game, but. Um, I, I will say that, uh, I, it's like, sometimes it can be frustrating. Like there, you know, the, the world of like independent games, um, is so lively and it's go, it's experiencing such a Renaissance right now. And there's this really like beautiful art being made in that space. And it's, it's occasionally frustrating to me that like cards against humanity will get, will get focus at the exclusion of some of the other cool stuff that's happening in like the, the indie game scene. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I found myself wondering if, if like, uh, you felt almost a victim of your own success where everyone wants to talk about this one thing and like you're doing other stuff too. Yeah. It's hard not to. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like cards against humanity is too stupid for me to kind of do full time. So I, I try and keep, <laughs> I try and keep like uh, other, you know, plenty of other projects uh, going uh, at the same time. And also like, I am confident that it's going to fail at any second, that it's just going to, everyone's going to get bored of it and that'll be it. Like every set we sell, I, I always, am like, well, that was it. This good run while it lasted. Like, yeah, let's pack it up. Right. Um. So, you know, I, 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 uh, yeah. So I, I like to have a lot of stuff uh, in on the back burner. Um. Yeah. Uh. But no, I mean, it's it's fun. It's a fun. It's a fun thing to talk about. Like, I, it, it, I feel incredibly lucky that like connected with an audience and and it that it means something to people. Like, that's that's what anyone hopes for with their work. So that's that's very satisfying. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you say that you you keep waiting for it to to fail or stop. It's like it feels like a little bit of imposter syndrome going on. Uh, yeah, I would say that's uh, I would say that's accurate. Yeah, I, I think you can be uh, very aware of imposter syndrome and that it's a it's a fallacy that you know a lot of creative people fall prey to and that. It's not really accurate, but for everyone except for yourself, for yourself, it's totally real. Like literally at any moment in this podcast, everyone could actually discover that I'm a fraud and I'm faking it and that I don't know what I'm doing and that, yeah, Cards Against Humanity isn't that funny anyway and that it's just the jokes are already all written there and it's not that fun to play and there's better games out there and why are we buying this thing anyway? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I give it until the end of the day. Sure. Well, we won't publish this for a couple of days, so you, you can sneak in a couple more things during the week. Okay. Oh, good. Before yeah. we all know that you're a fraud. Okay. It's, it's yeah, it was, uh, wasn't that game fun while it lasted? Man. Yeah, it was okay. Remember that thing? Yeah. Like Pet Rock. Got, got very popular all of a sudden and then never heard from it again. Yeah, absolutely. So you have some <laughs> other games that you're working on right now that look really interesting. 
Uh, yeah, there's the there's the first game I made. Uh, that was sort of my intro to indie games called Humans vs Zombies, uh, and that's like a, that's uh, what's called a big game. Uh, so it's like big games are usually characterized by being uh, physical games that take place in the real world. So there's like running and jumping and and you know being played on uh, playgrounds or college campuses or um, you know uh, uh, parks or things like that. Uh, and then they're usually played in public spaces, so like public parks, urban spaces, cities, th- uh, you know, um, uh, places where there's spectators. Uh, so Humans vs. Zombies is this huge game of tag where there's a, a team of zombies trying to tag all the humans and eat them, and a team of humans just trying to survive, and they can sort of stun the zombies with Nerf guns. Uh, so my friends and I started that in college, and uh, we started it as just... Um, you know, much like Cards Against Humanity, we, it was just a thing that we wanted for ourselves. Like it was like, hey, this is what we like doing in our free time. Let's let's create like a really nicely organized version of this game. And uh, as we started playing it, people saw us playing and they saw us having fun and they wanted to join in. And then um, by the time we graduated, the games were uh, had you know almost half the school was playing at our. You know, I went to a very small school, but uh, but half of the students were playing. The games would go for like a week. There would be these huge things that would happen every semester. Wow. Um, and then the game started spreading to other schools. So uh, now the game is played at uh, about 750 colleges and universities. And then we help organize each of those games um, for free. The, the company is a uh, uh, sort of a not, nonprofit model, not necessarily voluntarily. That's just sort of, sort of how it shook out for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, way more recently, uh, like in the last month, I published this uh, video game, uh, the first video game I worked on called Samurai Gun. Uh, that's a four-player local multiplayer game um, for PC, and then soon it's coming to some uh, consoles. Mm. It's interesting to me when it, when I hear you talk about your games and indie games in general. Um, it sounds a little bit like open source software. Like cards started off with this free thing. Like here's the here are the components you can build it yourself. Maybe it still is like that, and you guys sort of just provide one implementation if you're interested. Um, there seems to be a lot of parallels there. Yeah, I mean, you know, games are there definitely are a lot of parallels there in terms of the values, right? Like I want these ideas to be free. I think if people want these games badly enough, they'll pirate them anyway. You know, they'll post the, you know, even if we tried to somehow sell humans versus zombies, like someone would just post the, they just make a paste bin with the rules, right? Like it's not that hard to like steal the, the idea of the games. I mean, I don't know if the video is going to be saved anymore, but I'm making air quotes around uh, (laughs) the idea of the game. No, just, just audio. Okay, well, the, yeah, I hope everyone heard my air quotes, but uh, you know, there's nothing so precious about those ideas. So it's uh, you know, and the same for cards. So it, it's it's always made sense to us to make it available for free. And and from a more like strategic point of view, uh, and this is where I think the indie games are a little different than software. You know, games are a consumer product. Like individual people are are need to make a decision to buy them and to play them. Um, you know, software, especially open source software, tends to be like something that a developer will use as a tool, right? So there's, there's, it's, it's a slightly different um, way of marketing it. But, you know, for a game to be successful, a lot of people need to hear about it and they need to have an incentive to sort of tell their friends about it. So making it free has been this amazing shortcut we've discovered to just getting people really uh, excited about a game and feeling like they have some ownership of it and feeling like, um, they received a gift from us, and they want to then uh, they feel good about sharing the game and promoting it and telling people about it. It's um, you know it wasn't like a strate- it wasn't necessarily so strategic that we like planned it that way, but it's been a nice effect that we've discovered of of making stuff free and uh, definitely something I plan to continue doing with uh, with future projects. Mm. It's it, you don't seem reading interviews from you and, and hearing you say things like that. You don't seem to be particularly motivated by money. Um. 
Well, I have, you know, especially like, you know, during college and after college, um, I was free, I was doing freelance design. I was just working as a graphic designer and I had no money and I cared a lot more about money uh, at that point. Like it was, you know, whether I got paid by a client or not would affect like if I could buy groceries or not, or if I had to like go crawling back to my parents and and beg for money for rent or something. Um, so that, I mean, it's in a, in a certain sense, like not caring about money is a, a form of, of privilege of people who can afford to say that, you know, already have money. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, uh, I have had enough, enough of these, you know, humans versus zombies and cards and some of my other side projects have been successful. Um, and I have found that the less that as if I can go into a project and, and not, um, well, in some senses, not care about the money, uh, it it makes the project more healthy and it, and it helps me discover the like underlying values and principles of an idea that are going to get people excited about it um, versus thinking of it in a more selfish way of like, how do I, how do I make the most out of this? Um, the reason I say that's only in some places is um, I do think projects, um, you know, I try to only work on things that really matter to me and I have some like emotional investment in, and I think that they'll matter to other people and people will find some sort of meaning in, in it. Um, and I think in those instances, you have um, a special responsibility to make projects sustainable. So you can't, you know, I think it's um, just like it is, it is irresponsible. And in a sense, you know, it's uh, um, maybe a little greedy to j- go into a project and just be like, what can I get out of this for myself? Like, how do I make the b- best return out of it? How do I get the most money out of it? It can be similarly like short-sighted and greedy to just say, well, I'm going to make this thing and it's going to be really unsustainable or I'm going to take like investment money for this thing that never has a chance of making money and build this thing that people are going to rely on and care about and, and then sort of secretly know that it never has a chance of, mm. of lasting on its, own, on its own merits. So I think that building sustainably, there's a value to that too. So I think that you, you do have to hit that right balance of um, finding ways for your, your ideas to, to last and, and continue to help people. Um, and also to, you know, as part of that, that, that idea doing service to people, um, you know, not taking, not, not being so selfish about it that you take everything of value out of it for yourself. You have to leave something there for, for users and players and and the people experiencing it. Mm. Can you take us through an average day for you? Sure. Um, I, Man, well, I don't know. I mean, I could. I don't even have an average day anymore. Like it's just chaos. But mm-hmm. um, you know, most days, like I'm, I'm usually up around uh, eight or nine. Um, uh, in college, I started uh, meditating. Like I, there was this like uh, meditation club at our at college, and I found that it really helped me with um, like anxiety and it and it mm-hmm. just I don't know. It just helped me. Uh, uh, it helped me just be put me in a, in a mind frame of like being, being very grateful for what I have and not, not panicking. You know, sometimes, and if you ever get this, but sometimes you just like wake up and you start panicking about whatever dumb thing is the first thing you think of. And it's just, an, it's just a, it's a really important way to just sort of sit and, and clear your head and take some, take some control over what you're going to care about that day and, and what you're going to think about. So that's, that's an important, a really important part of my kind of daily routine. So I'll, I usually sit um, for, you know, 10, 20 minutes and, and just do that, that sort of like Zazen meditation it's called, where you're just, um, you know, you're trying to like do anything. You're just trying to sort of sit there and be aware of yourself sitting there and then not have any thoughts, mm. um, which I've, it, you, it's not, it's not possible. Um, but, uh, you're just support, supposed to sort of recognize, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm, I'm obsessing about this thing or I'm having anxiety about this thing and then just sort of let it go. Um, mm. and that, I, I find that to be, uh, something that's, that's definitely, uh, 
helpful to me and, and really sets the tone for my day. So like on days when I skip that, I'm, I'm more of a mess. So you're pretty, um, you're pretty regular with that? <clears throat> yeah, pretty much every day since college. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, and there, there's been a lot written about that too, of like from a more, you know, a scientific standpoint, um, uh, that, that's pretty cool. Uh, I'd also recommend like if, if people are interested in, in learning more about meditation, um, two, uh, uh, two, two cool resources. One is a book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. That was sort of the book that got me into it. And I, I just found that to be like a, a good refreshing. It's, you know, it's not, not really like bullshitty. It's just a very practical guide to like, uh, how to start getting into this. And also uh, a podcast I really like, um, uh, called Back to Work with Merlin Mann. They did an episode recently called Anxiety is a Goat, and it was just about anxiety and how um, actually both of the hosts of that podcast have uh, have gotten into meditation and, and found it helpful with their anxiety too. And this is now becoming a really rambling answer, but uh, that, that episode of Back to Work also made a great connection for me between anxiety and procrastination. Um, and I'm a, I'm a chronic procrastinator and I'm also an anxious person. And, um, you know, of course, it's obvious now that I think about it that like, you know, to procrastination is being anxious to start something because you're scared that it's going to fail or you're going to screw it up. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, that's, I think that's probably another thing that I, I, I can, I can say about meditation is it, it gives me a little less fear of just like jumping into something and, and, um, get, you know, getting started with, with something that I need to do. Hmm. Uh, and then the rest of my day, um, you know, we, we started, a uh, an office in Chicago for Cards Against Humanity and it's, uh, it's also a co-working space. So we have all kinds of, um, um, uh, writers and photographers and designers and game designers and journalists uh, who share desks in the office with us. So, um, you know, I usually head in to work around 10 or 11. Um, and then we'll do a morning check-in meeting with all the cards employees. We have uh, four employees um, uh, who work who work with us on, you know, customer service stuff and planning events. And I hired a, a junior designer. So usually uh, we work off of base camp. So we'll just sort of like sit down do our morning check-in, open up base camp, like go through all our projects. Like what do people need anything from me? Are they blocking on anything? You know, do people have any questions? And then everyone just sort of like goes about their day and there's a good amount of just screwing around. Like we play a lot of Splunky and, and other video games in the office, um, you know, and, uh, um, you know, usually like order lunch together or sometimes go out and then we'll do a checkout meeting at five o'clock and just sort of go over, you know, here, what do we, what do we do over the day? What did we accomplish? Like, are there any problems? Uh, that kind of a thing. And then uh, everyone takes off. And um, uh, occasionally I will do more meetings and stuff at night uh, or just have, uh, you know, go meet people to play board games or, uh, yeah, I mean, it really depends on on what's going on at that point of the year. And then also, like, increasingly we're just traveling so much for Cards Against Humanity and and for some of my other projects. Like, I'm doing some speaking and stuff. So, um, you know, pretty much almost every month this year, like I'm taking some sort of trip and, and getting to go to all these cool things. So, mm. I, and I actually, I kind of, I kind of like that. Like the more I, the more I've been like come to terms with like not having any schedule or routine and just sort of like, it's just this chaos of like, you know, come in at a different hour every day and get a different amount of work done every day and travel all the time. Like, I kind of like it. Like I, I have a lot of fear of like, um, falling into a routine and, and, getting comfortable. Um, you know, I want to be on my toes. I want to, I want to be, I think that's a healthy way to like approach creative projects is to, uh, is to try not to fall into any like assumptions about it. So I I find that really helpful of, uh, of, of just sort of switching things up periodically. Like, you know, you get comfortable and then like, you know, boom, you got to go on a trip or something and and it's going to shake things up. Mm. This is a great, uh, do you know, 
um, the, 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 the show with Zay Frank. Do you remember that? Yeah. Kind of an older, yeah. So he did, uh, in the original run of the show, he did this video called the uh, bust your cycle. And it was just about like, you know, every once in a while, just like have a weird day, just like do the opposite of what you do every day, you know, go out and go for a walk instead of going to work or something. And the idea is just like bust your cycle, like get out of your, your, your way of looking at the world and your way of thinking about things. And, uh, it, it, it helps you sort of feel some sense of control over your life and, um, you know, seeing, seeing the, the habits and assumptions that you make about your life and sort of exposing them. So that's something I've, I've definitely tried to keep in mind. Um, and another thing, a weird, weird thing that I took away from that too, is like, I try to move apartments every year. Hmm. Um, so that's another way of, of trying to not fall into like a daily routine. Um, and, uh, so I like that because it helps me find, like learn about new neighborhoods in Chicago. Um, and you know, I, I learned the city really well that way. It also prevents me from owning too many things. Like if you mm-hmm. own, if you move every year, you have a strong incentive not to buy things because everything you buy, you're like, oh, I'm going to have to move that in a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I found that to be uh, another really helpful thing in terms of, uh, not, not sort of falling into, um, uh, bad habits. Yeah. What is your, con- what, what's your concern around having, um, a lot of routine or a lot of things? Well, I mean, I, I guess I feel like, um, uh, what I, what I, va- I mean, you know, what I value in, in projects and ideas is, is a sense of novelty of like question of, of not being part of the status quo being something that's, that's different or, um, you know, outsider. Um, you know, I, I highly value novelty in, in the stuff that I work on. And I, I want to, you know, even if I'm, um, um, doing something that's, you know, a, a, a remix or a, a twist on something like I want the twist to be strong and good. So I think it's like, just just preventing yourself from from falling into that routine like i never want to have a, a point in my life where i i like wake up in the morning and go like man what have i been doing for the last 6 months like i haven't i haven't challenged myself or done anything exciting or or been scared of anything i, I don't know I, I feel like that somehow for me at least that's related to uh to doing good work it may also be be partially related to like the the procrastination thing um you know, if I'm, if I'm getting to a place where I'm really comfortable, like, man, I can find endless reasons not to do what I'm supposed to do. Like I can just procrastinate to the point of nothing ever getting done. Um, so I like to, uh, you know, when, when the spirit strikes, when the muse, when the muse speaks to me and I actually have some uh, desire to do some work, I want it to be very low friction. Like I want to have the a flexible schedule so I can clear, you know, it's like, man, I want to work on this thing right now. I want to have some, some ability to like set aside time and do it right then and stay up all night if I want to, or, you know, wake up early if I want to, you know, I, I, I want to have that flexibility. Um, and, uh, um, also, uh, I do well in a last minute panic. I find that very motivating. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So you've, Uh, uh, you've, you've started uh, doing some Kickstarter consulting. I have, well, I don't know if I'd call it consulting, um, but I, I did this thing uh, for a couple of months uh, called Kickstarter Office Hours where I just um, did a Google Plus Hangout with anyone who wanted to, who was kind of doing a new creative project and they wanted to talk to someone about it. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just like a Google Plus chat and we, we talked about their idea and they would tell me what they were scared of or maybe there were specific things of like how do you print playing cards or whatever and then just any way that I could or I could offer advice or whatever, I would talk to people. 
Um, and I, I did that. So I did about, uh, I think I did three months of that and I did, um, a little over 50 meetings in those three months. So it was uh, two hours every Tuesday and Thursday. Hmm. And I ultimately, I, um, you know, I committed to doing those three months and I did them and then I didn't continue it because I felt like it wasn't scaling very well. Like the more meetings I did, the more people wanted to have meetings. And then I found myself just repeating myself every yeah. time of giving, you know, I mean, obviously like I'm, I'm one person, I have one, I'm going to have one strong perspective on this. So I'm, I'm, that's going to be natural, right? Of like, I'm going to be giving my opinion to, to, to people over and over. Yeah. But uh, I'm try- right now I'm trying to find some way to using that same amount of time. Is there a way that I can give advice that more people can use? Can I reach more people and, and make this stuff more available? Um, because I think it started to feel like it felt weird because like what I, what I love about Kickstarter and the reason I want to help people do their projects, I love that there's no gatekeepers to it, right? It's like, you can do a, a new uh, you can do some some weird outsider idea that should never work, and if enough people say I like this, it's going to happen, right? Like it's it's such a, a an inversion of like the power structures that used to keep that stuff from getting made, mm. and it's so empowering for people. And then I just had this real fear of like it, so many people were trying to do these like Kickstarter office hours with me. I had this feeling of like becoming a gatekeeper myself. Of like there was some sort of like you had to like go go on top of the mountain and like get advice from from someone who will do Kickstarter office hours, you know, I, I don't want to contribute to that culture yeah. because you don't need, the fact is you don't need advice. Like I, I have never known what I've been doing. I just faked it and put a project up and hope that it would work out. And, uh, you know, made, tried, tried to use, use the resources I had to, to make the best decisions. And, and if you, you know, if the, if you're the right person to do a project and you believe in it, generally, I think that will shake out. Um, but I, I, I want to find some way where I can make it, you know, the process of giving and getting advice on these things a little more democratic. And, you know, I, I don't want it to be another, just another system of like gatekeeping. I, I want anyone to feel like they have access to that. So, so I, are I you starting quite solved it yet? Yeah. So you're starting a Kickstarter for Kickstarter device? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, um, uh, that has been done by the way. There are, uh, um, there are many guides to Kickstarter that have been Kickstarted, uh, successfully and unsuccessfully. It's always funny when someone wants to write a book about Kickstarter and they put it on kick about how to use Kickstarter and they put it on Kickstarter and their project fails. Yeah. That has, that has happened and it's always pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, I don't know. Uh, one will, what do you, I mean, let me, let me ask your, your thoughts on this. I was thinking of maybe doing a podcast about it. So like I would still have those one-to-one meetings with people, but then they would be recorded and people could listen to it and then they would hear those, those say, you know, they, at least they would have access to the conversation. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? Oh, don't start a podcast. It's miserable. <laughs> is it, uh, I mean, I guess, so I guess my, my fear about that uh, format is like, is it, is, is, is advice that I give to one person for their project or if it's not me, right, there could be a variety of different people giving advice on mm-hmm. this thing, but is advice that's for one project, is that really like, can you really like universalize that advice to any project? I mean, I think you, you'd be the best person to answer that, but just judging on what you've said so far, you said you were repeating yourself a lot in office hours. So it sounds like there's some kernels there that are repeatable. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some things I really strongly believe about Kickstarter. Like I really believe, I think simple projects are great. Like, um, I don't know if you ever go on a Kickstarter project and some people will do these like huge projects, with, like 500 rewards. And it's like, you can get the platinum level, which comes with these bundles and not this bundle. I'm like, you're, you're losing people's attention there. Like, you know, there are people who go to this, who want to support you. And then they're leaving because there is too much crap on the page, just like anything, right. That's just design. That's not even Kickstarter advice at that point. That's just like good design principles of like, 
have the minimum possible amount of things there so that people can pay attention to them all. You know, yeah, you, you know what I like about the the podcast idea for this is that if my initial thought when you were saying I found myself repeating my myself a lot um, was, okay, well, you should probably distill the common parts and put it in a book. But then you <laughs> end up with, so that I think there, that still might be okay, but you end up with the most generic advice in the book. Yeah. Whereas if you have a podcast with a number of guests and someone listens to a half a dozen of them, they'll hear the parts that you repeat and sort of take those as the generic things, but they also get to hear the custom advice you give for particular situations, which is, yeah. is, is likely to be you know, less widely applicable, but you know, they might hear this one thing that for their product is perfect and you know, means, means the world to them to hear. Yeah, that's, um, that's, what I, that's exactly what I, once I started thinking about doing a podcast that I really liked about it, of like, there will still be some of that, to the extent that you can generalize advice about doing, starting any new creative project, like that advice will be there. And I think it can be cool to get like, you know, co-hosts and, and interesting creative people to come and, and give advice, you know, on that podcast as well. Um, but uh, yeah, but then people will, you know, it's more of like, it's more valuable, I think, to be like, well, how do you think about this? Not like, how do I solve this problem for my specific project? But like, if I, if I have this thing I want to make, how do I find what's essential about it and explain it to other people? Like, that's kind of its own skill set. Totally. And and it, I think it'll be useful to hear uh, for people to hear your approach to understanding the idea and you sort of like walking through different elements of it. So like I, I, I really believe in the power of uh, seeing people's process because if, 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 if you did just a book, for example, that's like this is the finished work. This is the thing. These are the things I've decided are most generally applicable and they're presented as still life at the yeah. end as opposed to like listening to you kind of explore the person's idea and kind of push back and forth and, and figure some things out. There's so much information in that. It's so high bandwidth that I think you can yeah. teach a lot more when people can see the process. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, um, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, man, I should really, I should really figure out how to do a podcast, huh? It's, it's not so bad. <laughs> it's pretty easy. Cool. And sometimes cool people will respond to your invitations to be on and you get to chat with them. Yeah, no kidding, right? Like it was, they, I, I've been, I mean, that's, I've been listening, to, you've had some, some really cool guests on this. I've been, I've been really getting into the, uh, the backlog in the last few weeks. It's, it's great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm continually amazed at the people that say yes. I'm like, why, why are you on the pot? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm totally glad and totally flattered, but it's, it's, but it's funny how often you can just email someone like, Hey, we want to talk to you because we think you're cool. And they're like, yeah, sure. When? It's, it's great. <laughs> it's been shocking. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're like, hey, I'm Max, I want to talk to you about stuff, they'd be like, yeah, totally. I'm yeah, or, or you know, maybe, maybe like, would you do an interview of like, you know, get, get interesting project creators on Kickstarter and be like, would you, would you want to do an interview of like how you thought about your project and how did you build it um, to help people uh, sort of learn about it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I say do it. Go for it. Cool. But don't start a Kickstarter for it. Yeah, right. Well, nice thing about a podcast is I think it's pretty low. I mean, like if you if you have a microphone, like I think it's pretty low cost. Um, totally. And there's some there's some really good. Salute. I think I, I well I, I'll probably hit you up with some podcast advice at some point, but uh, yeah. I think there's some pretty. It's it's gotten like technically uh, a little easier. Yep. Um, yeah. To like distribute this stuff. So. Yeah, totally. I'm happy to offer some thoughts. Cool. Cool. So I've seen I've researched you a bunch. I see that you you've you've done a good amount of interviews. You seem pretty willing to talk to people. Um, I saw someone ask you, what question do you wish you weren't asked anymore? And which I think was, <laughs> yeah. you said, uh, I wish people stopped asking how much money cards has made. Um, oh, yeah. so I want to, I want to flip that around on you and say, uh, what do you wish you were asked? What don't you get to talk about enough? Hmm. Um, man, uh, I would love to talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine and which are the good episodes and which are the bad episodes and why Cisco is the best captain and, uh, the whole, um, um, the whole uh, 
uh, plot arc of the series. Uh, that's that's what I never get asked about. I can't believe no one ever wants to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, well, as soon as you start your own podcast, sports. I think uh, you can cover that in <laughs> complete depth and detail. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. I mean, I think um, I, to me, the, the stuff I, I'm always the most interested in, um, I, I'm, I'm interested in like, I love hearing about people's projects and about the things they make and, and all that. But I'm like, I'm way more interested in like how they how they conceptualize like problems that they're trying to solve and what their worldview is and like, well, what what made you what what in you made you see the world in terms of like thinking about this problem and coming up with this solution to it? Like that's that's way more interesting to me. And that, that maybe that's like the philosophy major in me, um, mm. that, that, you know, wants to, to understand like more like, you know, the principles, uh, behind this stuff. But, um, that's always what I'm, what I'm interested in. And, uh, I always think it's, it's, uh, a bummer when there's like, you know, when I'm listening to a podcast with a cool guest and then they, they, um, they'll never really ask, you know, like very penetrating questions about, about like, well, you know, what were the thought processes that like informed these decisions and, yeah, you know, like this was like. Did you read that um, the Steve Jobs bio, the the Walter Isaacson like Steve Jobs biography? I'm working on it. Um, it's like I I did I hated that book uh, because um, the the main issue to me was like it was a good story of the guy's life and I and and it really did it. You know, I think what it set out to do was humanize him and show that how what a flawed guy he was and 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 really make you see him as a person and it did do that, but. You know, I'm not. I'm sort of not interested in all the times that Steve Jobs was an asshole to people. Like, I know a lot of assholes, but not all of them made the Mac. So, like, I want to know what was it about Steve Jobs that was like in his character or the the way that he thought about the world that that made him him. Mm. Um, and I just didn't think that that book even tried to answer that question. So it was sort of like it was sort of frustrating to me. So that's that's the stuff that I'm. I, I always wish people would would talk about more and. Mm. Um, you know, I always, I always think that like in trying to figure out that stuff in my work, like I, I always understand what I'm, what I'm doing more. So I think it's a helpful process to go through for people too. Mm. So what makes you, you then? <laughs> um, well for, so I, I, I guess for the, the main, um, like the big ideas behind, um, the games that I've worked on. Um, so we found, so in this thing in, in humans versus zombies, the big game of tag, um, the first thing we found was like when we started playing with it, how much it just sort of like subsumed your entire life into this game. Like everything just was, was became the game. Right. So and what was kind of cool about that was like, so you, you're in college, it's supposed to be the most fun time of your life. And you just find yourself in the same sort of like, like bullshit routine of like, you know, you wake up and you get, you go to the cafeteria and you go to class and you come home and you do your homework and you go to sleep. And humans versus zombies, you're doing the same thing. Like you're eating the same crappy food and you're going to class and you're doing the same things every day. But suddenly it was like this epic adventure and you were fighting for your life. So you had, you, you were being chased and trying to survive and cut through the woods to take a shortcut. And that was like, so we, I think that was just so empowering because you real, you know, you saw in playing the game, how much of your day-to-day experience, it wasn't your experience. It was you, it was what you brought to it. And it was the way that you approached it. And it was the rules, the sort of unspoken rules of like how you're supposed to act and what's important to you and, and what you care about that make an experience meaningful or not. Um, so that was that was really cool. And that sort of realization, uh, that's what I've been like chasing after in, in all of the games and, and yeah. interesting, you know, projects and stuff I've I've done since. Um, is that sort of sense of of empowerment and and pointing out these these sort of hidden social rules and 
um, you know, pushing on them and, and making people aware of them and trying to, to make people feel more empowered in their own experiences in their own lives. Mm. Um, and there's also something really political about that. Um, this is, you know, I, this, this is probably also speaks to my background in politics, but um, there's this great games philosopher, Bernie DeCoven, and he has this great quote of, um, he's written a lot about, about big games and about playing in public. And he says that playing games in public is inherently political because when you play a game in public, you're showing people a new way to behave that is not the normal way to behave. Um, and that freaks people out, right? People acting according to rules that aren't the normal social rules. That's political. That is, that is subversive. It's radical. And especially for a game where you're acting in a way that is not motivated by fear or selfishness, but you're, you're playing with people in this really, um, you know, intimate, loving way. And you're, you're creating this reality with people where it doesn't matter, you know, what, uh, gender or sex you are. It doesn't matter what race you are, your, your, how much money you have, you know, all those things get set aside in the face of like being chased by a zombie, that is a radical political vision. And it's showing people that those are not rules that are inherent to people. They're just rules inherent to the particular way that we organize our lives and the way that we act and that we could just as easily organize our lives another way and act another way. So that that's that's sort of the political payoff of, of all of this for me. And, and if there's ways for something like a game to point at that, um, then, then it's a worthwhile project. Like it's, it's not a, a quite as trivial to, to spend your time making a game. Uh, and, you know, and then that, I think that that's definitely an idea in, in Cards Against Humanity too. I mean, we have Cards Against Humanity is all about taking these really powerful, shocking things or upsetting things or taboo things. And then not only like saying them out loud and talking about them, but laughing at them. So it's sort of the idea is, is giving you some power over them and and taking away some of the power of those words and ideas and and um it's also a way for us to sort of um there's this great george carlin quote that when people laugh their minds are open up to a new idea for like just a second Mm -hmm. um and that's that's also a big idea in cards against humanity of like if you can get people laughing especially at these at these big ideas and these big concepts and like these big societal taboos um you know we can make jokes about we can make jokes about our audience, right? So we make jokes about, about privilege and white privilege and, and heteronormativity and all of the ways that the people who buy and play our game are, uh, are, are flawed, right? So it's, it's identifying like power structures and, and laughing at them and making fun of them. And in some cases, giving people a vocabulary to talk about them and laugh at them. Hmm. That's kind of the, the subversive um, and, and cool political thing that, that I like about Cards Against Humanity that, that makes it fun for me to work on. And that's also present in like, I, I think we, we also like, we're, we're good at, at, at touching that with the way that we talk about the game and market it and um, um, promote it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a great example is like our our Black Friday sale for this year. Yeah, we did this. We did this dumb thing where we, uh, instead of lowering our prices for Black Friday, we did an everything is five dollars more sale. It was like one of our best day of sales ever. Like people loved it, and it tot- like it just was honest, right? It spoke to what people like about our game, which is sort of like we 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 identified this like uh, this this absurdity in the culture of like Black Friday. Black Friday is the dumbest. I mean, there are so I don't even think we need to get into it. It's just this incredibly annoying and stupid trend. And we found a, a way to subvert it um, in a way that was just felt right to us. Like it felt honest to us to uh, to not care if we sold any games that day and just be like, "Well, fuck it, we'll just 
we'll just do something funny on Black Friday. Yeah. And uh, people people responded to it like it was fun. It was cool. Like it was a fun. That was one. That was one of my favorite things we've we've been able to do with uh, with cards so far. Yeah, it was very it was very consistent with the your DNA. It seems too. It's like it's, yeah. if it's funny, it, we don't care if it costs us money. Let's do it anyway. Yeah, and also like every time we've made that gamble, it's it's worked for us. Like mm-hmm. we it actually wound up it wound up being great. Like so many people because we did that thing, they wound up like hearing about the game right. in that context, which is great. Yeah. So you, I, I keep hearing you mention things like, you know, you move apartments every year, you pick up new projects, you like new ways to fund projects, you know, a new way to walk to class to avoid zombies. Yeah. Are, are you a, a novelty addict? Does that worry you at all? Is there, is there dysfunction in there or is it all just, is, it, is that all cool? Um, you know, I, it's not, it's not the novelty that appeals to me because there are other places uh, culturally where there's like an obsession with novelty that just grates on me. So like Twitter is one example of like, man, Twitter is just always looking for like the new thing to be, to care about where it's like, we're going to really hate this person for like six hours and then completely forget that they exist. Mm. And that bugs me. Like I don't, I don't do well on that sort of a thing where it's like, or, you know, on Reddit where it's just like, what is the new head churn of like new headlines every day. Mm. So in that sense, like novelty as, as just trivia, that sort of, um, it's this like uh, unending barrage of, of just trivial garbage like that, that really stresses me out. But what I like about about that idea of like busting your cycle and, and moving and um, starting new projects and stuff, like I just I just don't want to be comfortable. I, I want to I want to you know I I want to I want to have that that sort of liquidity in my life and that that kind of take taking a risk with my life so that um, if if I have a new idea or I, I do a new thing, it's really hard to come up with an excuse, right? It's like oh, I can't do it because, you know, I, I have these factors in my life which prevent me from doing it. Just don't have those factors in your life, right? Like keep your, keep, stay on your toes. And then it's like, if I have to travel for this thing or I have to, you know, um, you know, buy some, some, you know, it's like, oh, I want to, uh, uh, get into screen printing or whatever. Like, you know, being, being, having a lot of like liquidity and being able to like move to an apartment where I have room to, to get an exposure unit to start doing screen printing is cool. Like, it opens up all these possibilities. So I, I, I feel like it's like, um, in some senses, it's just not sabotaging yourself so that you can do the ideas that you think of. Mm. Do you feel happy? Uh, I feel I feel satisfied and I feel grateful and I feel lucky. Uh, I don't know that I feel happy, but I'm not, I'm not really like a happy person by disposition. Like mm. I kind of can't help but looking at the world and and – seeing the ways that it's unfair or cruel or um boring or trivial um and i don't know maybe that's uh, the more people i meet who are who are doing you know interesting creative stuff like that just they're 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 weird they're weird people and and they don't fit in and that's part of what's part of their their creative voice so i i I've learned, I guess I've stopped worrying about it as much. I've stopped caring about, I've stopped trying to obsess over my own personal happiness as much. And mm-hmm. I think it's made me more content, right? Like I don't necessarily worry. And it's tough too, because you go to the, you go to conferences, you see talks and that's all people talk about is like, follow your bliss and do what makes you happy. And if you're not happy, stop doing this thing. And I was never, I've never been happy doing, you know, I, I worked on the Obama campaign in, in 2008 and that's probably the most 
romantic, like meaningful, important thing I've ever done in my life. It was miserable. It sucked. I was sleeping four hours a night and I was working all the time and I was terrified of screwing it up and I was in way over my head and I had a shitty job and I wasn't getting paid. I mean, everything was wrong with it. I was miserable. I was living with my parents. Like everything sucked. But it was, it was, I look back on it and it was one of the best things I've ever done with my life. So I've just, I just don't know that my, that, 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 one's own personal happiness is the best barometer for like if if you're doing the most important thing or the most satisfying thing or the most worthwhile thing with your time. Hmm. Awesome. I think that's a great place to leave it. Cool. So uh, I think that wraps things up. Thanks very much for uh, stopping by, Max. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Totally. So if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 85. Thanks for listening. 